Welcome to The Human Beat. I'm Roger Rocket. We're talking today about next week's reopening of the Astoria Warming Center in the face of COVID-19. Our guests are the new Warming Center Executive Director, Kathleen Sullivan, Center Manager, Cheryl Paul, and Board President, Rick Bowers. Um, next week, I believe it's going to be the start of the seventh season for the Astoria Warming Center. When someone arrives this year, we have COVID-19 to deal with, something different that, uh, from what the, the Warming Center has ever encountered before. What, what is someone going to encounter when they arrive? How will that be different from how it's been in the past? When they arrive, they'll, um, they'll have their temperature taken. Some of the changes, they won't be eating at um, the tables. They'll be eating in their own space. Everything's laid out six feet apart. There, there won't be any um, dining together this year. What are you going to do about masks? We have masks for, um, for disposable masks for all the guests and um, masks for all the staff. So those will be provided. So this year, instead of people coming and sitting around common tables for meals, you're going to actually have, they can come up and get their food and then take it to their, their assigned space. Yeah, that was feedback from public health. And I just want to give a real shout out to our local public health department. They have been extremely supportive. They looked over our plans and actually uh, they're the ones that recommended eating at the uh, individual spaces instead of on a table, even with six foot social distancing. And the masks were all provided by public health. They provided over uh, 700 of the KN95s and over 3,000 of the, the normal paper disposable masks. Uh, they've also provided the screening thermometers, infrared thermometers that we're going to be using. Uh, they've looked over our protocols, continue to look over our protocols, and I just really want to thank them. What, uh, what are the rules this year for when the warming center can be open? In past years, it's been dependent on temperature, wind chill, and so on. Does that apply this year as well? Or yeah, the, the conditional use permit is identical. It's, uh, yeah, that actually came up at our public hearing. The, uh, the board members were, were curious about, you know, do they have any responsibility over the, the COVID planning? And the, the uh, planning person there said that uh, your job is just the land use and then public health will be working with that side of it. So it's from the, the city's, from that part of the city standpoint, it was just business as usual. None of the cap changed um, in terms of how many people we could have and whatnot. So it was just business as usual. And then it was public health who helped us with the COVID planning. Well, given the spacing of people that you, you need to do this year because of COVID, what, what do you figure your capacity will be now? In years past, it's been 30. Um, this year, we were able to set up 28 beds. We do have um, the use of an additional room that we haven't had in the past that the church was gracious enough to let us use. And we do not have the tables this year for people dining, so that gave us more space also. So we're down about two people, about two beds from what we've been in the past. So now staffing is going to be very different this year. Tell me how that's going to be. You're going to have paid staff instead of volunteers. How, how did that come about? What's the reason for that? And where did the money come from? Kind of important, but. 
Yeah, boy, after last season closed our next board meeting in April, we decided, you know, are we going to really be able to do this? And uh, because we do rely on the wonderful volunteers and uh, we decided, yeah, we're going to make this happen. So we started reaching out to various funding sources and uh, we, we've got enough money to pay for completely paid staff uh, from multiple funders. Uh, part of it, I'm sure, is from federal money, you know, trickling down through the various sources. Um, I, I'm sad about the volunteers because I'm still getting emails from uh, one person in particular, Jan Mitchell, who would love to volunteer. And we've just been so busy focused on, you know, getting the paid staff figured out, trained and whatnot to see if we could do anything with volunteers that would love to help us and we can do it safely. You know, we just, we haven't figured that out. And quite honestly, we're waiting for public health to see if it would be safe to have volunteers in who are in a high risk category before we open, you know, would the air filtration system be good enough that we'd be safe to have some of our past volunteers help us out outside of the normal hours. Well, the volunteers are, are a great bunch, and I think most of them just want to be available if, if they're needed. Uh, yep. I'm thinking with a We love them. <laughs> <laughs> we love them. And so do the clients. I mean, when, when, when people volunteer there, the, the people who come in who have no homes to live in and who use the warming center um, are very appreciative of the people who are working there, both staff and volunteers. Very it's, true. It strikes me that in one way, one thing may be a little easier this year because it's a paid staff. Uh, I know I was on the email chain last year, and just because of the start and stop of the openings and not openings, it was like an everyday thing where a plea went out for volunteers, and somehow those positions always got filled. But often it was kind of uh, last minute and a little scary, I'm sure, about whether we would have enough staff to open on it. A given night. So with a paid staff, do you see that being a little less trouble? Yeah. I that is the one part that I am looking forward to having all staff. Um, it's not going to be the final hour whether or not we open. You know, we'll know ahead of time that we have the staff. We'll be able to open that evening, not sitting around on pins and needles <laughs> waiting for one more person so we can open. So yeah, I am looking forward to that. Now, I should point out the two people we've heard from so far, that was just Cheryl Paul we just heard from, and Cheryl is the uh, manager of uh, the Warner Center. And we've heard from Rick Bowers, who is the board president, but we have not yet heard from brand new, shiny executive director, Kathleen Sullivan. So Kathleen, welcome. Well, thank you, Roger. I'm, I'm happy to be here, and I, I'm thrilled to be, uh, to join this group of such wonderful people. Uh, it's amazing the work that they've done over the past uh, over six years, really, and I'm I'm happy to be part of their team. Well, I know Kathleen pretty well, and I think one of the things she brings to the organization organization is a very big heart, and it's the kind of organization I think that will that can and will benefit from that, and you will fit right in with the with the other people who are there. Uh, let me ask about some of the other things that go on at the center that that probably you'll need to handle differently uh, this year. In the past years, people have been able to come and have showers. They've been able to come and to a degree at least to get some laundry done. 
they've been able to go out and, and take smoke breaks at certain times in the evening. Are those things more of a challenge this year with COVID? Have you, have you had to devise different ways to kind of do that to maintain separation or pretty much as they have been? Yeah, pretty much as, as they, they have been. Um, we will be not, we, this year we, we will not be doing their personal laundry. Showers will remain the same. Um, smoke breaks, of course, they'll be, you know, need to be monitored to make sure everyone's six feet apart while they're outside. Besides that, you know, it'll be at the same times. We'll try and get as many people in, get as many people showered as possible. As you know, you've done it in the past, Roger. Only one person's allowed in the in the shower area at a time. So that should be able to run as it's always run. And there's also donated clothing that they're able to to access. I just wanted to add one more thing when you were talking about people having a big heart. I, I really want to thank PL. Johnson Mechanical for for their donation of the um, the it's a carrier air unit. I know it was just in the paper, but we just can't thank them enough for their generosity. And we we think we we believe that this unit's going to help um, give us another layer of protection. Um, it's going to purify you know to help purify the air in the center. So we're just I want to thank um, Paul Radu and uh, and and his his uh, company for helping us with that. Is that up and running and operational now? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We all got to be uh, become acquainted with air purifiers this year because of all the smoke we had. I think many of us tried to run out and get one. And uh, in terms of smoke, at least, we can see that they're really very effective. But this one is kind of special. It's one that's sort of hospital grade. Is that what I understand? Yes. Yes, and it's quite large. So the point is that it is going to be removing those uh, the viruses and bacteria from the air as well as particulate matter and so on. Is that what I understand? That's my understanding. I mean, we will still be very strict with um, all that, that the health department is asking us to do to keep everyone safe. It's just an added measure and, and we, we think it will help on that. Yeah, it's, uh, it removes the, the like uh, water molecules from our breath. Is, it's a HEPA filter, but it's a, an extremely high efficiency or high grade HEPA filter that can pump a lot of air through it. So it reduces the chance of getting infection is my understanding. I neglected to ask you earlier, um, your openings are going to be dependent on the weather when you can open and when you can. But what are the hours of the warming center? When will you be opening in the evening and when will people be leaving in the morning and how's that gonna work? We'll, we'll open the doors at seven and um, intake will be between the same as it always been has been between seven and eight and um, everyone needs to be gone in the morning by 8 a.m. This all takes place in the basement of the First United Methodist Church and uh, they've been very generous this whole time. Oh, they yes. have been and uh, they had a protocol to work through through their church hierarchy and so they were very um, very certain about making sure that we were going to be safe and i appreciate them essentially looking over their sh our shoulder with all of this and you know it's not just the methodist church the the ongoing um contributions from the community in, in terms of cash donations the in-kind donations from the restaurants those are just continuing like they have in the past and i it's it's just so fun to watch the community come together for something like this. 
Now, in the mornings, generally in the past, um, the warming center has provided some some sort of breakfast a little bit for the, the people who stay there. And um, there's this kind of get up and get going thing in the morning where everybody has to has to roust and get organized and get their stuff together and have breakfast and be out there. Right, nose. <laughs> so will that be different uh, this year? Is that will you, will you be able to handle that uh, in pretty much the same way? Yeah, I think it, it it'll be very similar, except for again eating at their bedside rather than at a table. You know, um, we have the oatmeal ready, oatmeal and brown sugar. Columbia um, Coffee Roasters are providing coffee again, so we'll have great coffee and oatmeal in the morning. What I enjoyed about Cheryl's experience with this place is she makes sure it's decaf coffee in the evenings and caffeinated in the morning. <laughs> Roger knows the rules. Roger knows the rules. <laughs> I, I do. Um, and one thing, one other thing I've noticed in 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 being there is that women are much, much better than men are at de-escalating. When there's ever something that comes up, uh, Cheryl, you are, you are just absolutely great at that. It's just kind of tamping things down and making things, uh, bringing things back down to a smooth keel. This year, you're, not, you're a very hands-on person. And when you would do that, often you would go over and you would touch the shoulder of a person and kind of, this year, that's going to be a little, little different. A little different, yes, yes. A little different this year. About how you, how you're going to handle that this year? I, I think, um, I think I can still do it <laughs> without taking anybody. <laughs> and well, I think, I think after all these years, they kind of know what, what's expected. You know what I expect. My, my impression from years past is that the, 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 uh, the people who come and use the warming center respect Cheryl a great deal and they're just a tiny bit afraid of her as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> I have been told that I'm the meanest nice person they know. <laughs> well, <I'm good. laughs> no, I think that it's mutual respect. I, I respect them. I expect respect back from them. But they, they know that they have my respect for them. So I think it's mutual. And I didn't want to imply by my question that that's, that's a regular thing because it isn't. Um, no. There are in that, in that population of people who have no homes though, there are some people who have, have uh, mental issues. And once in a while, there will be a rough night when someone sort of acts up in a way. And so that, it, that does call for, for those kinds of skills in kind of bringing things back down. What I've also noticed, though, is the rest of the people who are using the center are so supportive of staff in that situation, and they also try to help to just kind of ease things down a little bit. Yes, sir. Definitely. Have we covered all the kinds of safety protocols you need to do this year? I was thinking earlier that you're sort of like you have to meet all the protocols that a restaurant has to, and also all the protocols that a hotel has to, kind of all in one bag here to to uh, to make it safe and to make it work like you want to. And, and you said the health department has been kind of giving you individual guidance on that? Yes, they sure have. And the one thing that we're doing that the restaurants are not doing is, as Cheryl mentioned, the screening before they ever come in the door, right at the door. And that's a protocol that the health department recommended for us. What happens if, uh, if 
someone comes in and they appear to have symptoms and uh, you know and perhaps uh, what would you do refer them for a test or how would you how would you deal with that we are fortunate that we have funding from the Oregon Health Authority for well two types of, of individuals one is a, a community education specialist so she has been educating all of us about COVID as well as the rest of the community that's been a big help and the other piece of it that really addresses your question is we've got wraparound support funding so we've got an individual on our staff who's been you know getting trained up so that if we have that person that that walks through the door what do we do and you know they've got the the training and then the resources to back them up to handle the situation well i got to thinking earlier about you know when you read the health department reports on uh, people who become infected with with covid in Clatsop county what has happened most of the time in fact almost all of the time is that there will be a line that those people who were infected are recovering at home. We haven't had many people, really hardly any people, who've had to go to the hospital here. But recovering at home is not an option for a person who is homeless. So do you know how that's going to be handled? Yeah, that is part of the wraparound funding so that we can support them in the quarantine and isolation. The warming center doesn't operate in a bubble. There are others that you've referred to a little bit who, who help out in making all of this work. Um, the restaurants being among them who, who donate food. So give me some idea of the scope of people who are assisting with, with making things work there. Andy Martin has, has worked, uh, just done terrific work on, on connecting with restaurants that, uh, that contribute and she's continuing to work on that this year. This month for the month of November, the co-op is doing a roundup so if anyone shops at the co-op, they can round up to the next dollar and um, help out the warming center that way. So that's a, a, a great thing that they're doing for us. Like I mentioned earlier, our coffee is coming from Columbia Coffee Roasters. Um, we have four or five restaurants, local restaurants that are um, providing our soup in the evening and the community that's bring, that brings us socks and brings us gloves and brings us jeans and blankets and you know it's a big it's a big community effort lots of people involved i know ron maxted is is working on uh getting the details for for george's uh, magnificent mug uh that's coming up um soon he's so there are there are people that are working to get that in place too there's also other area nonprofits. I mean, Viviana Matthews from CCA, Classic Community Action. I mean, she's just been at our, our side and, and actually has funneled grant money through them to us. And just, I've got her personal cell phone, so anytime I've got a question, she's on the end of the line. The Harbor is going to do trauma-informed care training for us. Um, you know, it's just this outpouring of support, of mutual support among the various nonprofits. And that includes the wraparound support. There are three entities in town that have this wraparound support. So we can share resources and together to solve any of the, the quarantine isolation issues that come up in the community. There's also um, empty, uh, feeding empty bellies. And, and Cheryl, maybe she wants to talk a little bit. She's also doing double duty that she's also working at the, um, the Beacon Clubhouse 
Um, and all of those organizations kind of intersect with uh, the population that, that we're, they're, we're all working with. Many of the same people are, um, are able to um, have a place to go during the day. Now they can spend the night at the warming center and head over to the clubhouse for the day. You know, that'll, that'll be, that'll be big this year, <laughs> you know, instead of going out at eight o'clock in the morning and having nowhere to go there, you know, some of the population will um, be able to have a place to, to be during the day, which this year is, you know, not having the library. Um, it's going to be different this year. Where are people going to go during the day this year? Yeah. Well, you mentioned um, the donation of clothing and so on, which uh, which lots of people did last year, and we kind of just come and bring things. Uh, how are you going to have to handle that this year? Is it? Uh, um, I will be there in the evenings at six. Like I um, said earlier, we're not going. The doors will not be open until seven. So um, we've decided to accept donations between six and seven in the evening. When the people bring donations, they need to wear a mask. So, and there's a way we can, we can all help, uh, we can all donate, and that is with, with good old cash. Uh, how would somebody do that if they want to make a donation to the center? Yeah, the AstoriaWarmingCenter.org webpage has a donation link. Well, Rick, you are involved, you and, and uh, Nell Moffat have been involved in working on behalf of uh, people with no homes in our area for years now. And the warming center is just one of the things you are working on. Would you like to touch on on some of the other needs that the community has, and, and um, what needs to be done to fill those? Sure. And you mentioned my wife and I, Nell Moffat, myself, along with uh, just scads of other people who have been, you know, trying to work around this problem for years before us. So we're the maybe the latest too. But yeah, I think. One of the biggest needs is transitional housing. Um, you know, when people come out of the recovery programs, they need a place to go. And it's just darn hard to find a place that's affordable in this, in this county. And um, I always get frustrated because I run across individuals that I know, and I really can't tell their personal stories in public places. But in a very general sense, I, I I ran across a friend of mine who had come out of a, uh, a drug rehab program and, you know, it was almost they opened the door and said, well, you've graduated. It was a detox program and he had no place to go. He was in a tent along the river walk and I understand that he'd been asked to move along. So, I mean, it's this transitional housing. Once we pe get people cleaned up, where do they go? And that's a big one in my list of things to do. And I think Kathleen has a lot to add to that. Well, I, if I want to put on my, um, my government hat again, I, I'm still a, a county commissioner. And um, I, think that, I think there is a lot of movement towards uh, trying to build capacity in housing. I know that uh, our board is getting our strategic plan together to to hand off to the to the new board in January and and that's one of the that's one of the items that we are considering and how, how do we build capacity for housing I think with these um, my own and I also and, and govern on the government level uh, you know chief um, Jeff Spaulding has been hosting the 
uh, the homeless uh, task force through the city of Astoria. And there's a wide range of um, local uh, officials and um, community partners that meet, that have met over the last few years, talking about housing issues. Um, and I, I, I think it's, it's changing. People realize that we have to, we're gonna have to increase uh, uh, housing that's affordable uh, in our in our area, it's just it's just too is and it's is a nationwide problem. But I think it's particularly difficult out here on the west coast. It's a little frightening too that the problem of people without homes may accelerate in the next few months because the protections against evictions are going to end. And I know there are already large companies that are making plans and are beginning to start a process of of evicting people. We have many people who've lost jobs or have lost a lot of their income because of COVID-19. Uh, it's just stunning to think about what, how that would be handled if, if large numbers of additional people um, become part of the homeless population. My, my hope is that, because um, I know that's a big fear, but um, you know, not only do renters uh, need support, but also the business owners and the landlords also need support so that they can continue to to house people and keep people. And I and I and I hope that uh, the federal government will find its way to to provide those that kind of support because the, the amount of funding that's needed for that is it is is not it's not possible for it to all come out of a local um, situation. It's going to have to come from the federal government um, and passing it down. That's that's my opinion on that. But it, it's there's just too much at stake to not find a solution. Uh, Dr. Ellen Heinitz, my contact at Public Health, again, I just can't say how supportive they've been. And I really enjoyed one of these, the statements that she said early on, and I, I'm sure I'm paraphrasing, but it's, it's to keep the entire community safe, we've got to keep everybody safe. And I just love that message. So, it's bringing people together. We're in this together. We need to keep everybody safe. I know people have uh, COVID fatigue. I know they're tired of this. It's been a long year, but we've, we've got to keep going. We've got to keep wearing the face coverings. We've got to keep our hands washed, stay home if we're sick, uh, stay six feet away. We just cannot let down our guard. We, we will come to an end of this, but it's not there yet. So we just have to keep all of us doing our share to keep all of us safe. Well, we will come to the end of this and and next year at the same time, if um, if COVID is under control somehow, um, either through uh, vaccination or, or however, will you still use this model or will you go back to a volunteer driven organization? Well, I hope that we can integrate the volunteers back into this. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but we've got wonderful volunteers that want to contribute. And, and we just need to realize, too, that a lot of our extra funding was COVID-related. So we're going to work hard to expand our capacity. That's one of the reasons Kathleen came on board, is to you know, move us to the next step. And you know, she's going to be developing plans to help us see what that's going to look like. Thank you all. And uh, I appreciate you bringing us up to date on what this year is going to look like. And I'm- Thank you, Roger.
I'm glad, and on behalf of the community, I think uh, I'm glad that we, we still have this service available for people in our community who, for one reason or another, um, could be you or I, uh, have no home to go to this, uh, this coming winter. We've been discussing the Astoria Warming Center, which will be opening for the winter next week. Our guests are new Warming Center Executive Director Kathleen Sullivan, Center Manager Cheryl Paul, and Board President Rick Bowers. Thanks for listening. I'm Roger Rocker. Thank you.